Hello all, welcome to the latest edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. No game this weekend, of course, the match at Leicester on New Year's Day postponed because of City's injury and illness crisis in the camp. But we wanted to get together and just put together a, a bonus episode of the pod for you because there's still plenty of bits and pieces to be discussed. Dave Freezer here alongside Connor Southwell. Connor, how are you? Did you um, do anything fun with your uh, unexpectedly free New Year's Day? Not really, no. Um, no, I didn't, to, to be completely honest. I, I find it a little bit of a... I, 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 don't, I don't drink, as you know, Dave, so I find the, the whole New Year's process a little bit of a non-event, to be honest. I went just saw some family and... Um, it was an excuse to eat more food from my part so that was uh so that was good it was just uh, i got a longer period to do it in and there was no football match so yeah it was good what about you what did you get up to yeah same i didn't drink <laughs> for one day <laughs> i'm gonna be one of those boars that tries to do a dry january um but yeah we had quite a nice start actually we went out up to Cromer. my best mate was back visiting family so met him and his wife and their kids um with my partner and just went for a walk on Cromer beach and it was like September or something. It was like 16 degrees. It was lovely. And then uh, went and had a family roast in the afternoon and uh, I won at Monopoly. So, you know, what better way to start it? And it was a dramatic victory as well. This this is the, I'm going to inject a bit of sporting drama into this. (laughs) The only things that I had on the board for the whole game were Mayfair and Park Lane, the two most expensive, managed to get hotels on them. And then it paid off for me right at the end of the game. So I basically sat there and observed everybody else playing and it eventually paid off for me. So he who dares wins, Rodney, and all that sort of stuff. But let's have a look back at the uh, Premier League weekend that continued uh, without Norwich City, shall we? The um, the results that, well, um, it's, not, it's not changed the table a, a great deal, I suppose, other than... Other than Leeds, um, if you've got the results in front of you as well, Connor, we've got Leeds 3, Burnley 1, Everton 2, Brighton 3, Brentford 2, Villa 1 and Chelsea 2, Liverpool 2. So Leeds, um, I suppose them beating Burnley is kind of helpful from Norwich's point of view, but that, the bottom four is now six points adrift of Leeds in 16th. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it as well. And uh, and only Newcastle of those bottom four have, have won one of their last five games. Um, mm-hmm. The rest uh, haven't haven't won. So it, it probably goes to show probably what a, a run those teams are in. Obviously, there's been COVID issues uh, and whatnot. I, I fear for Watford, I'll be honest, given that a few of their key players are about to leave for the African Cup of Nations yeah. as well. Um, so that's another factor. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of as was for Norwich City, really, apart from that bottom four getting cut off. And uh, we, we're still talking, ultimately, even maybe as negative and as much criticism as we've given Norwich City for their performances on the pitch, we're still talking about a three-point gap to Watford in 17th. And, you know, Burnley aren't really um, producing the level of performances that maybe people have come accustomed to. It feels to me like it's kind of everyone looking at it and going, well, Burnley will get out of it because they always produce a run. Um, they've only won one game all season. It's quite remarkable to think that Norwich have won more games than the Newcastle and Burnley at this stage. So, yeah, it's it's a really interesting situation. I, I think we're now looking at um, essentially uh, three of those four teams will get relegated. Um, Leeds now on 19 points looks like they've they've got away from it a little bit, but uh, again, a couple of wins from those below them will, will suck them back in. So, yeah, at this moment in time, the picture hasn't changed dramatically for Norwich City. But by the same token, you're looking at Burnley with a couple of games in hand. Watford, of course, have a game in hand as well. 
Um, and there's the possibility Newcastle, of course, this month are looking at getting new signings in. We're in, invariably, I suppose, going to be talking about Kieran Trippier at some point during this podcast as potentially the first of those. That represents the quality they're looking to get in this month. So from a Norwich City standpoint, it's OK. But for now, it feels like maybe the, the danger is going to come a little bit later down the track. Mm, and the Watford AFCON impact could well be sort of well time for Norwich as well, couldn't it? With that game being later this month, um, uh, that is uh, the away game, isn't it? Um, that comes the other side of of the Everton match. So, uh, I mean, they have the goal difference swing, I suppose, in their favour. So it's pretty much four points, isn't it? Because they, their goal difference is 20 better off than Norwich. But again, looking at the results, Brighton, winning three to Everton. They're up to ninth now. Fair play to Graham Potter. He's doing a, a great job there. They, they've got such a solid base to to build on and they try to play decent football, don't they? But Everton slipped down there to 15th. They're level on points with Leeds. If Rafa doesn't get his act together, they're, uh, he's probably going to lose that one, isn't he? Yeah, you think so. I, I think that's just a, a club that feels like structurally it's in a little bit of a mess. They obviously lost their, their sporting director, didn't they? Marcel Brands yeah, yeah. a few weeks ago and um, I think the criticism mainly from Everton fans has been about the lack of kind of long-term planning um, that there is at the club. They're one of these that seem to lurch from manager to manager. They've obviously spent a, a lot of money and, and perhaps not seen the return that they would like on those additions. And now you've got Rafa Benitez maybe trying to implement his style and, and it seems very manager-focused and, and maybe a little bit of a throwback to what Norwich had before they moved to the sporting director model to an extent. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. It, it never really feels like they're in threat of uh, uh, kind of relegation, does it? Because of the quality they have in their squad, and they've already made, I think, uh, a couple of, uh, of signings in, in January. One left back um, from Ukraine, and I think they're, if it's not done, they're pretty close to the, to, to doing Nathan Patterson as well, um, who, mm. who's at Rangers and is fairly young and upcoming. So. Yeah, I, I think you would naturally probably expect an uplift from them at some point. I wouldn't necessarily be looking at those um, coming into the conversation in terms of the relegation picture and in terms of perhaps being um, competitive from a Norwich City standpoint. Um, equally, that game in a couple of weeks' time at Carrow Road looks or is beginning to look like quite a big opportunity for Norwich, given the form that they're in and the position that they're in. But yeah, you're right. Ultimately, you look at that and Rafa Benitez is, is going to be in a lot of trouble, especially given the fans haven't probably taken to him in the way that maybe he would have hoped because of the Liverpool connections and whatnot. So, yeah, it's it's interesting that them and Leeds are probably down there. I think when we spoke at the start of the season, they're probably maybe two clubs that we wouldn't necessarily have put down there. Um, but that goes to show maybe how brutal and how difficult the Premier League is this season, particularly with the COVID and, and the injury problems. Yeah, now a little bit of housekeeping as well. The Leicester game hasn't been rearranged yet, but the uh, West Ham game has been given a new date. So that's Wednesday, January 12th. So next week, three days after the Charlton FA Cup game on Sunday. So that is the next Premier League match for Norwich as it's scheduled, which uh, is, of course, a, a daunting prospect with the uh, with the way West Ham have been going along. You know, still sat fifth in the table. Um, they've been doing really, really well. They went and beat Palace and, and and looked pretty sharp while doing it as well. Um, so that's how things will shape up. Then it's, as as we just discussed there, Everton home, Watford away, Palace at home before the visit of Manchester City. So there is, or maybe if you don't include the West Ham game, um, and we'll come on to selection issues and stuff in a, in a short while, but there's a little three-game period there where if, if somehow Norwich could get themselves together, then that could really set up a, an opportunity to do something because it is going to take something quite dramatic from this point of view. Um, another thing uh, that we've had, we had, well, 
with a no game, there was one interview which made it out, which had been done with the Premier League rights holders, wasn't it, with Kenny McLean. And he's stuck up for Billy Gilmore, which um, it's travelled, isn't it? As as usual, um, Scotland's great hope makes headlines. And um, the line from Kenny was, I don't appreciate him being singled out. And, and that's been picked up in various national media outlets, isn't it? And I think certainly in a, in a couple of pieces that we've run, Connor, and and just generally online amongst the Norwich fans, I think people have been pretty keen to point out that it wasn't the entire away end making these uh, derogatory chants. Well, not derogatory, but negative chants towards uh, Billy Gilmore, telling him to go back to Chelsea, basically, um, and that it was quite a, a, a small group. Yes, I, I think it kind of sums up modern society, first and foremost, that you get a, a clip, which was, what, about 10, 15 seconds of uh, a small group of people chanting one thing and maybe a whole fan base gets um, gets tarred with that brush. And, uh, and first and foremost, I think it's, it's fair to say that those chants um, probably personally aimed at any player aren't acceptable, particularly at a young player who's trying to make his way. Um, but it is, it is uh, I think, uh, a culmination of the frustration that Norwich City fans feel at the moment because of where the club are and uh, and and the Premier League in general and, and how they feel towards it. So, yeah, I, I think some of the stuff has probably been a little bit over the top from, from the Nationals in terms of maybe... Norwich are the problem and it's not Billy Gilmore. I think actually it's a bit more nuanced than that. And I don't think that, um, I mean, we've watched Billy week in, week out. I don't think we've been particularly impressed with his performances, not to the point where we've been saying he should return to Chelsea or anything like that, because um, obviously I don't think that's the right terminology to use when, when you're kind of talking about this. But I mean, by the same token, there are a lot of players that you would probably put in that same bracket in terms of performances. I think he's getting singled out because unfairly, to him really the hype around him is is so mad it's 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 almost people telling Norwich fans that what they're seeing with their own eyes isn't actually what they're seeing and I think that's probably where the frustration comes um because yeah it's 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 mad really but yeah I, I don't think it's necessarily a fair reflection of Norwich fans or how Norwich fans feel about Billy Gilmore I think there there has been disappointment but mainly because he arrived again through no fault of his own with a massive billing with a massive hype about what he could do this season and for whatever reason be it Norwich's overall um, style of play be it how they play be it him um, we, we haven't seen the best of him yet um, and that I think is where the frustration comes um, but yeah I, I think Norwich fans looking at it have been quite frustrated with how it's been perceived on a wider basis and I think Kenny's right to come out and say what he said and I, and I agreed with a lot of what he said but by the same token it's I think fans are a little bit sick of hearing players say we need to improve. We need to do this. We, we need to do that. I think. I think now is the time for actions. And again, we, we're speaking about free game runs, aren't we? And opportunities. And if it just feels like we, we've kind of spoken about that all season, and at some point we need to see one of these runs and one of these moments and some of these words translate into actual actions and actual results. And only then, I think, will they will they get the fans back on side and we'll begin to see hopefully the unity that we hope um, to see for the remainder of the season. But. Yeah, I feel for Billy Gilmore, but at the same token, I think it has been probably overblown a little bit because of some of the traction it's got from from media outlets, kind of um, kind of nationally and and elsewhere, I suppose. It'll be interesting to see how he responds to all this because you know there were moments in the second half where he was picking out a few nice passes because, as we've spoken about a bit already um, in our various videos and, and podcasts and things. Palace took their foot off the pedal, didn't they, once they were 3-0 up? And then Norwich were able to create a few chances and things like that because they were essentially containing them. The best ending to this story for Billy Gilmore is for him to turn it around at Norwich and prove the doubters wrong, 
get the fans on his side because I'm sure the fans would love to take to him just in the way they did to to Ollie Skip and that he is successful and that he goes and smashes one in from 25 yards or creates a lovely assist or whatever it may be that helps to sort of turn the tide for him and and that we because we're all probably fearful and expecting that he's going to go on and have a very good career isn't he maybe not quite Harry Kane levels from from obviously his Norwich loan. Patrick Bamford has kicked on and had a, a very good career as well. Ollie Skip, I think we're all expecting to see him in, in a senior England shirt one day as well. The best outcome is for him to turn it around at Norwich and, and prove people wrong and obviously keep the club in the, in, in the Premier League because he could probably, if he really wanted to and you know put his parts on and force his way out of Norwich and then go and play for Rangers or play for someone chasing promotion at the top of the championship, he could. And all of a sudden, he'll be looking good. But the, the one thing that Chelsea will have known when they sent him to Norwich is that it's very likely that it could have been a, a tough relegation battle, that they will have wanted him to be toughened up. And if he manages to now have a good second half or a better second half of the season at least, come out of this with some credit and be viewed as someone who's been toughened up is another year further on, that's going to still put him in far better stead to be a Chelsea player potentially next year than if he were to disappear off and go and get 10 assists for Rangers as they smash most of the teams in Scotland. Yeah, and I think part of what you said there is maybe why Norwich fans are frustrated because they're seeing this young player who clearly has ability. Uh, I mean, I was, I was reading a piece that our analyst has written, which people will be able to read on the Pink and App, I'm sure, when this podcast goes live, probably. And he's had the 11th most progressive passes in the Premier League, but which sounds really impressive. But then it's about context. And it's, OK, but where are these passes coming from? Whereabouts on the pitch? And I think it's, it, it's more that he's not really creating or contributing much from an attacking sense, but then he's not really that kind of player anyway. So, yeah, the, that's one side of it. And equally, as I said, Norwich fans are, are watching a player suffer a little bit, which he is at the moment, um, and they're not going to see probably the fruits of that or the rewards of that. It's going to be Chelsea, ultimately, that benefits from that rather than Norwich City, um, which will make him a better player in the long run. And, and I, I think Chelsea will be looking at it and saying, well, he needs some adversity because you look at what he's had in his career so far and it's been an upward traje uh, trajectory in terms of positivity and in terms of hype. So it's good from a develop developmental perspective aspect that he is suffering a bit of adversity that questions are being asked that fans are giving him a little bit of stick because from a Chelsea perspective you then get a very real sense of how he responds to stuff like that and as you said his response is going to be fascinating because um, if he doesn't then this is where a young player could really get lost and they could really go in the wrong direction but if he does step up in his game in the second half of the season we do see a real improvement and we do see some of this good stats in possession translate into chances created and assists and goals then we're going to be talking about a very different player and someone who actually has been able to come through adversity. And that will be another massive tick in a box that Chelsea will be looking at. Um, but yeah, ultimately, long term, we're talking about a player that isn't going to be at Norwich City and that isn't going to play for Norwich City. So uh, in the same way that we kind of praised Ollie Skip last year and Norwich fans sort of helped grow him to get to a point where he doesn't play for them, it's the same with Billy Gilmore. And I think the fact that maybe that's as a result of poor performance rather than positive performance, probably adding to the frustration that maybe fans feel around him and his performances. Yeah. OK, well, it'll be interesting to see how it develops. Um, as we record, it's January the 4th. Don't think anything much has changed in terms of what we've been reporting already, that Norwich are expecting a quiet January transfer window, unless somebody turns up with £25 million for Max Aarons or something like that. As Connor mentioned earlier, Everton now look to be out of that race, signing Nathan Patterson, who's another of the big Scotland young hopes, isn't he, and, ha and has been doing well at Rangers. So it doesn't seem like there's going to be too much at, at senior levels. Um, 
you wrote a piece about Todd Cantwell's future, didn't you? Again, we've been reporting that there's a bit of uncertainty there, basically, isn't there, that the club would uh, consider approaches for him because he's obviously in, a, he's almost in a bit of limbo, isn't he? But um, some of the uh, links which have been doing the rounds the last few days is pretty lazy reporting, isn't it? It's just um, rehashing the, all the links. And you, I mean, Todd is just like Max and all those players like Jamal and, and Ben that we've had in recent years, who their representatives have been very good at getting them linked with big clubs. I mean, Todd's been linked with everyone over the years, isn't he? Same as Max. Bayern Munich even at one point were, were linked with Todd, which I think we can say with pretty decent certainty, he won't be going to Bayern Munich. And I don't think he's going to be going to Liverpool either. I mean, there may well have been an interest at some point, but that would be a heck of a heck of a change to go from the situation he's in at the moment to to Liverpool. Yeah, I, I, as I wrote in the piece, I think he's in a, a very difficult situation. And I think if you're a buying club looking at Todd, there's also question marks still around him. I I would maybe argue that, I mean, is, is he a bigger risk now than he was two years ago after relegation? Uh, I think he probably is because for all the questions that Norwich fans have been asking in terms of why hasn't he been playing and when he has played, his performance levels haven't been that high. I mean, recruitment teams will be asking the same questions. Here's someone who two years ago scored a good amount of goals in the Premier League. Last year added um, some really good kind of creative metrics to that. But this season hasn't done it for whatever reason. Um, so, again, if you're a buying club, it's, it's a massive risk, isn't it? You're basically taking a leap into the unknown on a player who this season and um, sort of two years, well, two years ago didn't really show the creative side of the game that many people felt mm. he needed to improve on. And this year hasn't, really had the goals to to maybe mask that either so I don't know it's a lot of potential that you're taking a risk on it's a lot of unknowns that you're maybe taking a risk on and I just don't see a club that would be willing to do that maybe for the price tag that Norwich would want so I think it would make it incredibly difficult for a top club to do that especially um, and I don't really see any clubs who have the money in reserve because of COVID, because of the situation, willing to take a risk that is that significant. He clearly has talent. You only need to watch him play to realise that. But at the moment, I think there's too many question marks around him um, that probably will make clubs maybe not um, completely sort of turn away from him, but probably prefer other options. And I think that's probably the difficult predicament that he's in, but also Norwich are in. Um, because for all of the speculation there's been around him, and you listed it there, to some top clubs, Norwich have never had a, an inquiry for him. Um, there's clearly been interest. Leeds liked him. Victor Orta um, confirmed that. We know that Aston Villa yeah. liked him last summer when Dean Smith was at the helm. But that interest didn't result in kind of anything put on the table or any kind of talk. So, yeah, he's in a difficult situation, I think, because he's in a position where he's played half of Norwich City's games this season. The games that he has played, he hasn't looked particularly... Well, he hasn't been the player that we know he can be. Um, and I just feel like if there was a, uh, a situation where a club did put in money but for the reasons I've said I think that's probably unlikely then maybe it would be best for all parties at this stage but it would be a sad end to to his Norwich career I think given uh, he's a local lad he's been at the club since he was what eight or nine um, dear and born obviously um, and I don't really feel like he's fulfilled what maybe we thought he could fulfill at this stage now it, the onus is on him isn't it because if he can come back into the side and have an excellent second half of the season Norwich trigger a one-year option and maybe some of those clubs that we talk about look at those risks that are here at the moment and say, OK, they no longer exist. We're now comfortable with putting 15, 20 million on the table to take him off your hands. I just don't see a club that's will that would be willing to do that 
at the moment and, and um, the circumstances that maybe he finds himself in is is because of that. I don't know if that's kind of something you agree with, but it just feels to me like it would be a massive risk for any team to take. Yeah, I mean, Leeds is the one, just because it's still Victor Orta and Bielsa there, that would maybe be doing, maybe make sense. But I said this in our Q&A when me and Paddy were doing that on Monday on, on Pink and Plus, that I'd struggle to see them getting 10 million from anyone in the situation he's in at the moment. He hit that real hot streak um, in that first half of the Premier League season, he scored that brilliant goal in an FA Cup quarterfinal, which very nearly ended up taking Man United to penalties. And then the second half of last season, once he'd got over his you know, injury and, and sort of falling out type thing with, with Farker, he was again looking really good and he was looking more creative and he scored like that goal he scored at Sheffield Wednesday. It was, it was lovely. So I'm not sure I'd 100% agree that he hasn't fulfilled his potential because, you know, he's got two championship title winners and medals and, and last season he was playing very well. But yeah, he's still not been a consistent force for Norwich over, over the course of a whole season. If he could now find that, that a bit of form and a bit of rhythm, a bit like I said with Gilmore a little while ago, to somehow turn this round so that he can finish on a high. Again, if if he can go and score three or four goals towards the end of this, or the second half of the season, and then leave Norwich in the Premier League, I'm sure that him and Stuart Webber could shake hands in the summer and say, right, OK, fair enough, fresh start, you go and get your move, go and speak to whoever you want to get to, we'll accept, you know, 10 million or whatever, you've got a year left on your contract, it's time for us all to have a fresh start. That's the best way for it to happen. At the moment, it just feels like it would be almost a pretty low fee, just sort of part ways on reasonably unhappy terms. And and then maybe one day I'll be interviewing Todd in 10 years' time and he'll he'll be talking about sort of his regret and things like that. But like most of the Norwich players, it's not like he's not trying, is it? Todd's putting in the effort, but in recent games and weeks, they've all just looked so lethargic and that whole squad has just looked completely off kilter and off balance and stuff. So this next few weeks is going to be so interesting to see if any of them can grasp the nettle and really take a step forward. But, I mean, they all need to collectively. They need to find that next gear. And if they can, then things will probably start to feel resurgent quite quickly. You know, if they could go and get a draw at West Ham and then manage to just, even if they have to just bludgeon their way to a 1-0 win with a Grant Hanley scrappy goal from a corner or something against Everton, then you're away, aren't you? Um so, it's, again, it's just another element to all of this. As much as there's a lot of negative feeling and worry and doom and gloom, because we're all just a bit terrified, really, aren't we, that it's going to be another five months of, of this sort of atmosphere, at, like that horrible behind-closed-doors phase of 2019-20, when it was miserable, utterly miserable. And none of us, none of us in the slightest want to consider going for all that again. So yeah, lot, lots to uh, lot, lots to keep an eye on, and lots to see how things develop in in the weeks ahead. In terms of incomings, uh, it hasn't been too much in terms of um, in terms of the rumours, has there? There was one you picked up on Sunday from the Daily Record. Uh, Elliot Watt at Bradford, Scotland youth midfielder, was with Liverpool when he was a kid. Um, there was Dimitri Cavare, who was a well, he was a, he is a right back, plays for Sion in Switzerland. Uh, that was a, a report out of France, and he used to play for Barnsley in the Championship, won the league, uh, won League One promotion with them, um, and he's out of contract in the summer. So he's one that maybe he's on the scouting list somewhere at some point, the same as what, but I don't think 
either of them would be seen as legitimate options to come in and, and bolster a Premier League squad. They would be ones for probably the, the championship list for the summer. Um, Football Insider had linked Keenan Davis from Villa, hadn't they? That he's gone to Forest on loan. So that puts that one to bed nice and uh, nice and quickly. But otherwise it, it's been it's been fairly quiet and as things stand, we don't think that's likely to change too much, do we? No, not, not unless, as, uh, as you said earlier, that they could, that some offer lands on on Stuart Webber's desk for Max Aaron's or or Todd Campwell. I just don't really, I, I don't really see a the the finances to go again, given what they did last summer, and and given the situation that they find themselves in now, with no guarantee that they're going to stay up. I think it would be, um, given the way, and people aren't going to like to hear it, but given the way they're they're run and. And whatnot, there's simply not the money to go again without obviously plunging themselves into some into some debt, which would obviously come back to bite them later on down the line. So, um, yeah, they, they've of course um, obviously got a, a foreign loan spot to fulfil as well. And I, I would maybe even debate if the finances are there to to be able to fill that at the moment with, without some sort of movement um, from elsewhere. And as Dean Smith has said, when that squad is fully fit and they're doing eleven v eleven in training, he has to leave players out. So it's a big squad anyway. Um, and, and that's before you you look to add anything else to it. So, no, I don't I don't really see it. I think it's clear if they had an opportunity to add something at the top end of the pitch that clearly they'd want to do that, but they can't do that in the, in the current circumstances. Something would have to budge. Something would have to move before they could do that. So, yeah, it's um, I'm not expecting a particularly busy month. Uh, to to be completely honest, probably some some trimming around the edges and and maybe some some look at the loans that are out and uh, not necessarily anyone coming back to to stake a claim for the first team, but maybe sort of young players on the periphery going out on loan or loans coming back, like uh, the lad from Portsmouth. I think Danny Cowley's pretty much confirmed that he's going to come back to Norwich and probably head elsewhere. Um, Dixon Peters, um, players like that, maybe on, on the fringes, maybe um, could, could get loans elsewhere. But yeah, beyond that, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect much at all this, this January. No, and if you haven't already, then do find that Q&A with me and Paddy from Monday, which is on Pink and Plus. Uh, we dug into the recruitment side of things quite a, a lot because there's obviously that attention has turned on Stuart Weber and the recruitment team quite a lot in, in recent weeks. But I think we will, uh, well, we could dedicate a whole pod just to that. And we may well do at the end of the season if things um, if things flop and their fate is, uh, is sealed early, which clearly we hope it's not. So um, we won't get too much into that. There was a few little bits and pieces of news I just wanted to get into um, before we finish on by looking ahead to the Charlton game on Sunday. FA Cup third round, looking for a little bit of magic of the cup, of course. Um, I can't say that I remember too much FA Cup magic in my uh, time following Norwich City, to be perfectly honest. Um, but uh, there was a, a good interview with um, Dan Barden in the club's programme on Boxing Day, the Arsenal game, which... Um, you can find a sort of a section of on our websites as well. Looks to be going well. His uh, treatment for testicular cancer was finished just before Christmas, and um, he suggested he was waiting for news of a of a scan. So of course we'll all have a fingers crossed that that's positive news. But he certainly 
seem to be talking in the direction of that he might be back in training end of the season or or maybe the start of of next year but it um, doesn't look like he'll be um continuing that loan with Livingston or anything like that but we shall see how that goes uh, Gasson Ahadme young striker who's on loan at Portsmouth looks like he'll be coming back but as Connor's just said not going to be anywhere near the first team it's much more likely he'll uh, he'll be going out I think he's in the last six months of his contract so whether they'll look to get him fixed up permanently we'll have to see uh, there was also an interview over in Belgium Rocky Bashiri another of the under 20 three's defenders he had a bad knee injury talking about how he's fit again now and he's basically looking to to impress and that's probably going to involve a, a loan possibly this month that he was on trial with Coventry during pre-season but that didn't work out so there's there's little bits and pieces like that Isaac Thorvaldson another one who's an under 23 midfielder the Icelandic lad who's been back home playing over there um he has he's put out on his insta that his time with the club has come to an end that hasn't officially been confirmed by Norwich yet, but they usually about this time of year tell those young academy players that um, they won't be getting a new contract. So that seems to basically be uh, what's going on there. But another one who hasn't been near the first team and, and we're all a bit, bit used to it now, aren't we? That conveyor belt means that there's a lot of players that come in that might not necessarily ever get anywhere near the first team. They might just be uh, sold on or they might make money out of the loans or whatever, but of course, they're always looking for the next star, but it doesn't look like Isaac Thorvaldson will be that man. So, Charlton, Connor, on Sunday, um, what's your sort of thoughts uh, ahead of it? Um, as we record on Tuesday, we think that there's good news on the way, that the COVID cases are going down. We've seen the, the Premier League numbers as a whole have dropped, haven't they, from, from COVID? I think they've dropped from... 108 to 94 positive cases, I think it was, in the, in the past week. So we're as we're recording, we're hoping that Dean Smith's press conference on Friday will be a lot more positive and that some of those injuries and, and illnesses and stuff will have cleared up and he'll have a, have a fairly big squad to choose from. Although Charlton do have a game tonight, Tuesday night, in the EFL Trophy against MK Dons. So um, equally, there's two sides to this story. It takes two to tango. And if they now go and have a load of positive COVID cases after that game, then it, of course, gets thrown into doubt. And they, they've they already had to cancel two matches in December or postpone two matches in December because of the COVID outbreak themselves. So there's lots of if and buts around it. But ultimately, if we sort of uh, take a bit of an approach to what we think the squad will hopefully be, how strong do you do you see Dean Smith going for this one? Yeah, it's, it's probably changed a little bit in my mind since the obviously the news of the West Ham game mm. uh, has been announced because it's gone from them having... Uh, well, pretty much a clear week um, between that Charlton game and, and the Everton home game to now having a West Ham Premier League fixture in the middle of it. So um, I, I think that will probably change his thinking a little bit and will probably mean that he rotates maybe a bit more than, than perhaps he would have done. Um, I, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd probably expect Angus to return in goal. Obviously, hopefully Tim Krull is, is back from his, from his COVID infection. But I, I think you'd probably be, want to save him for, for West Ham and uh, given, given Angus's... I'm not sure if he has got much momentum, but momentum in terms of playing, definitely. I think you'd, you'd want to expose him to a few more minutes as well. Um, I'd imagine players like Bali Mumba to come in. Um, again, probably depends who's fit around the centre-backs. You, you'd probably be looking at giving Kabak some some minutes as, as well. I think the left-back one is interesting and, and will probably give us a, an insight into which way he'll go at West Ham um, to see whether it's going to be Williams, Yanulis. I suppose Byram as well could be in there in terms of minutes. So, yeah, I, I don't think it will be kind of uh, an academy eleven, so to speak. It, you know, whether John Rowe gets a go or, or, or players like that, I'm not sure. But um, 
I think it will be probably more rotated than maybe it would have been. I suppose the interesting points around players like Milo Rashica, who, um, you know, we heard potentially, or Dean Smith said potentially would have returned for that Leicester game. Um, if he's fit, will they include him on the bench and give him 20 minutes before that West Ham game, for example? So, yeah, I think there's there's plenty of, uh, of questions. Adam Eder up front, I'd expect to get to, to get given another go. So, yeah, probably a, a weaker Norwich City side, if you want to sort of describe it like that, a rotated Norwich City side, but one that should be strong enough, I, w- I would think, to, to see if the challenge of, uh, of League One Charlton. Yeah, I, don't, I feel like Tim Krull doesn't need a game at Charlton no. to be ready for the West Ham match. So I think you give Angus another crack there. Um, similarly with Grant Hanley, I, you know, he's had a shoulder injury. It's not been drawing or hamstring or anything like that. He's basically been, in terms of his aerobic fitness, I guess he will have been able to still be on the bike and out running and things like that. He's just had to protect that shoulder injury. So he similarly, I would thought, unless... He is. Uh, he goes to Dean Smith and says, "No, I, I want an hour. I need. I feel like I need an hour to get sharp for these games coming up." That's where the sort of um, uh, unsurety will be for for people, media, and fans, sort of predicting what this team might be. I think. But I, I you know, as long as he's fit, Omar I'd certainly look to get him time. I think Byram is another good opportunity to get him ninety minutes. Yanulis, I think, needs a, a start to try and try and build some rhythm. It may even be a good opportunity for Billy Gilmore just to, to get a little bit of confidence. Players like him and Lise Malou, no reason why Sorensen can't play in defensive midfield again. Poeta, you know, seen bright little sparks from him. If you put him in him against a, a, a League One club, then that might just be good. And similarly, Tami Puki, I don't think he will need sharpening up ahead of West um, of the West Ham game. But if he says to to the head coach, look. I'd much rather get an hour in the in the bank and try and get a, a goal or two, than by all means go and sharpen up in front of goal. But it's it's what in my mind it's whatever is needed for the West Ham game. Like I don't care, and I don't really think anyone within the squad is going to care if they go out of the FA Cup, and as long as it's not you know <laughs> losing four 0 at Charlton or something. Ultimately, this is all about them getting back up to speed, fine tuning, and getting ready for a really difficult game in the Premier League at West Ham three days later. And just to, just finally, to uh, it's probably, um, well, we'll dig deeper into this on Terrace Talk, won't we, which will be Thursday, Thursday night. We normally put yeah. that out, don't yeah. we? Um, where we'll dig a bit deeper into the game. Uh, but as, as things stand, Charlton have uh, slipped down to 13th in the... Uh, or no, sorry, they climbed back up into mid-table. Now they've slipped back a little bit again. They had a really bad start to the season under Nigel Adkins. Johnny Jackson, they had a really good run of form. And now they just faltered a little bit. They're 13th. They're even below Ipswich in the table, um, three points behind Ipswich. And they are 14 points drift of the playoffs. So they've probably left themselves with, with, with too much to do. Um, they did play on New Year's Day. They lost 1-0 at home to Wickham. Um, but their two sort of festive fixtures were were both postponed. So uh, before Christmas, they'd lost 1-0 at Plymouth, which is another of the uh, promotion hopefuls. So I, I don't see this as being a, an easy game by any stretch of the imagination. They'll be without Akin Famawo, of course, who was on loan from Norwich uh, with the option to make that permanent at the end of the season. He seems to be a, a regular starter for them if he's fit, but he always seems to have um, little niggles here and there, doesn't he, in terms of fitness and, and injuries. Uh, and the other one is Dialang Jayasimi, who was on the books at Norwich for a, a few years, had loan spells away at various clubs and eventually came good with Swindon before um, leaving Norwich. He joined them on a free and and now he's a, he's a regular at Charlton. So I, I don't see it as being a, an easy tie, particularly away from home. But um, 
we shall see. A, uh, a win would be very nice after all the doom and gloom recently, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes, yes. Any any win will do, I think, even if it's in the FA Cup, just to uh, to pick us all up a little bit. That would be nice. Um, but yeah, but it, I think just a, a little bit of cup progression, even if it's um, not particularly, obviously, the, it goes back to the old cliche, doesn't it? The league being the priority, but I think the position that Norwich are in now, they, they just need to win a game of football and, and hopefully that will lift some sort of confidence and yeah. uh, and the mood of in camp even a little bit. So I think we're at the stage where, um, yes, obviously Premier League survival is important, but um, if they can just win a game of football and uh, score a goal, maybe first and foremost, that would be um, that would be beneficial, hopefully, to, to their overall morale. And, and then hopefully they can transfer that onto the Premier League, even um, if it is, uh, as we expect, and as we've teed up there, maybe a little bit more of a rotated squad. Yeah, well, it'll be really interesting. I did have a quick look at Dean Smith's FA Cup record as well, and it's not great. It doesn't look like he gives it too much priority. He's only made it to the fourth round twice in 11 seasons. Villa basically had to sacrifice FA Cup last year because they had a COVID outbreak. They played the kids. They lost 4-1 to, to Liverpool. But he went out in the third round in um, all three of his seasons at Villa. Um, he did make the fourth round a couple of times, uh, once with Brentford, once with Walsall. So, um, yeah, I, I don't see it as being one where he's going to go full strength, but it will certainly still be interesting. There's always plenty to, to learn from those sort of things as well. And it opens opportunities for players to to impress, doesn't it? So um, we'll leave it there. As I said at the top of the show, we just wanted to bring you a, a little bit of a, a bonus pod just to get through the, the, the key issues, even though there's not actually a game to talk about. There's always plenty going on, isn't there? If you haven't already checked out Pink and Plus, then please do. Um, all the ads are stripped back, much nicer user experience. Um, I'm sure, um, well, I would hope, and certainly from the feedback we've had, that most people who've actually used it uh, agree that it's a much better uh, way to view our content than uh, than the websites, um, unfortunately, which uh, just get too cluttered with adverts at times. One ninety nine a month. Uh, you can find out all about that on the pinkham.com homepage. There's a little tab at the top which says Pinkham Plus and it lists all the details and there's an FAQ section there as well if you've got any um, any questions which you, which you want answering. But for now, thank you very much for listening. As I say, Terrace Talk will be out Thursday night. But for now, we will leave it there and catch up with you very soon. <laughs>